Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Welcome to the Commonwealth Club. I'm George Hammond, chair of the Humanities Program, which organized tonight's event. It's my great pleasure to welcome our live audience here in San Francisco, overlooking the great, beautiful Bay Bridge, and uh, our radio and online audiences. You can always visit us at www.commonwealthclub.org. It's my great pleasure to introduce Donna DiGiuseppe, who is the author of Lady and Ermine, the story of a woman who painted the Renaissance. It is about Sofinispa Anguissola, who is a one of those anomalies from history that really very good kind of disappears. People bring it back out, the information back out. So it's uh, really valuable, I think, to, to take the pieces of our history that were uh, created by people outside the box, outside of the standard uh, norm, um, and, and restore to them uh, what they had accomplished. So I, when, when Donna brought this project to me, I said yes immediately. So thanks a lot, Donna. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you, George. Thank you for inviting me here. Thank you to the Commonwealth Club and Jojo Caprice, who um, made the introduction for me. Thank you to Mia Fuller from the UC Berkeley Italian Department for coming and Andre Wilkins from administration for coming here and to my friends who are here and the rest of you who are interested in Sofanispa Anguissola. This no- my novel was published January of 2019, since that time, one year ago, Sophonispa's reputation has soared. Lady and Ermine could not have been better timed to come out if it played any part in her really being a part of the zeitgeist. I would be completely honored and proud. But also, the Prado Museum, as part of their 200-year celebration, did a major exhibition of Sophonispa's work. In part, correcting some of the. Um, their omission over the years, over the centuries, Um, and in part just recognizing that Sofonispa and the fellow artist shown, Lavinia Fontana, their time is due. And in this past year, Sofonispa's renown has grown tremendously. So she is becoming more and more a part. She is in the canon, but she's getting in the popular imagination. What we really need is a movie on her life. <laughs> so, um, Lady and Ermine was published by the Arizona Center for Medieval and Renaissance Studies out of the University of Arizona, Arizona State, and the Northern Arizona University. They have just agreed to give me my rights back. So, I am relaunching Lady and Ermine under my own copyright and with a new cover. This is the new cover, um, inspired by the Prado exhibition that I'll be talking about later. But first, I'm going to talk about Sofonispa's background and the incredible legacy that she gave to Western culture and art history that was underappreciated for 400 years. So uh, this is uh, a portrait of hers from... 1558, 1559, that she did during her early period in Cremona. And I first fell in love with that uh, portrait when I was in Madrid last October for the Prado exhibit. So I decided to put it on the cover of the revision. So Finispa grew up in Lombardy, northern Italy, in the area marked in the, the, the dark marker there in a region that at the time, in the mid-16th century, was governed by Spain. 
So the Spanish Habsburgs ruled through Lombardy and had alliances through much of northern and southern Italy. Philip II, king of Spain, was the most powerful monarch in Europe when Sophonisba comes to be called to paint at his court. This is the Church of San Sigismondo. It's the opening uh, scene in the novel. But you can see from the street sign, Via Francesco Sforza, Cremona is a small city about an hour outside of Milan by car. Uh, the Sforza were a dynasty that ruled Milan in the beginning of the 16th century. But in small Cremona, about 100 years prior, the Sforza and the Viscotti dynasties married in this very church. So while Cremona was a small city where Sofonisba grew up, it had uh, regional significance. So this is a family portrait that she painted just before she went off to the court of the King of Spain. And it, with three figures, a dog, the background, the perspective, it's classic Renaissance portraiture. But what I love about it is, is showing the, the kindness of her father. Sophonispa had an incredible opportunity for a, a full uh, opportunity to train to paint with master painters in her region. And not every woman had that opportunity um, so Phoenisba did in large part because her loving family encouraged her and um, promoted her career, and her father definitely promoted her career. But I want to make a, a point that um, Sophonisba was not alone. There, there's Sophonisba, there's Lavinia Fontana, there's Artemisia Gentileschi, and there are dozens of other Renaissance women painters. I have a list on my website. We have this false narrative that women didn't, couldn't, and weren't allowed. Well, maybe they weren't allowed, but they did, and they could, and there's a whole history of that. And that's why exhibits of all-female art are popping up all over the world, and they're deserved. And in this Me Too era where we need stories, the stories don't have to be made up. They're there, and they're begging to be told. So she had a loving family that um, uh, permitted her to be trained in the arts. She was educated, and you see here she's playing the piano, so she was classically trained in all of the, the arts. And But in her region... Grand Mannerist paintings were dominant and largely went up. She was born around 1535. We're not sure the exact year. But these large Mannerist paintings went up between the 1520s and the 1570s in Cremona. And her father was instrumental in choosing a lot of these. But um, large, sweeping, thematic Mannerist paintings were everywhere. And portraiture was sort of a reaction to that, where you have an individual figure and you're really focusing on the psychology of the figure. It's, it, it's um, sort of the opposite of those grand thematic pieces. So just for a little context, Sophonisba was about an, a generation and a half after Leonardo. She was contemporary with an elderly Michelangelo, and they corresponded. I'll talk about that. She's almost exactly contemporary with Elizabeth I, except she outlives her by 20 years. She was born 30 years before William Shakespeare and then outlives him by 10, proving that the Mediterranean diet was as healthy then as it is now. <laughs> so Leonardo uh, was in residence in Milan at the uh, court of Ludovico Il Moro Sforza for... Um, over a decade, and he did all of his inventive work, his dozens of um, uh, notebooks with his uh, scientific observations all written backward. 
He was a true genius engineer artist, but the legacy he left in Lombardy was for this psychological portraiture, and it's that legacy that Sofonisba takes up the next uh, generation. And just for a sense of some of his theory, he saw painting as theoretical, and that painting, the concept of the mind, was the most important thing. And so he leaves that legacy for portraiture. So this is Sofonisba's Dominican astronomer, and... um, you can see he's he's wearing a crucifix. There's the crucifix next to him. He's doing mathematical calculations. He's holding a globe. He's got uh, measuring instruments instruments next to him. So she's put, putting the math and the science with the priest. This is 80 years before Galileo will be tried for his theories about the universe. Show, so it shows how groundbreaking Sophie Ispa is in her thought and how provocative she is. But what I love about the painting is that it is signed, and the astronomer is signing Sofonispa and Guisola with the pen, but he's signing the name upside down. And then in the center box, you see written 1556 Tenmar Aura. Aura would, I suppose, be either now or the hour. She's, she's putting herself in that painting There is her signature, her upside-down signature. Leonardo da Vinci wrote his notebooks backward, and they speculate that was he wanted to um, preserve his ideas from people um, stealing them, or maybe he had a crazy left-handed script. But I think he was just such a genius that he wasn't going to spend his days as a scrivener just taking notes. He was entertaining himself by writing backward. This is Sofonispa's tribute to Leonardo, And she writes upside down because she didn't want to ruin her painting writing a backward script if she couldn't master that, so she writes her painting upside down. But look at the 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 facial that the the ambiguous smile and the eyes and just the the science and the the big theme of it. I think that her Dominican astronomer is her tribute to Leonardo. She was Classically trained by Bernardino Campi and then after that Bernardino Gatti when she was young in her early years in Cremona. Um, Campi was part of a school of master painters. His cousins and uncles had all been painters and he was one of the grand painters of Cremona. Um, Sofonisba does this painting after she is called to the court of Philip II as a thank you to her trainer and a tribute to him. This painting is sometimes... Uh, it's toyed with as being um, an image where she gives away her power to the male patriarchy that she's thanking them and and showing that uh, he created her. I don't think Sofonisba was that modest or receding. I think that she is showing off her pedigree. She's saying, I was trained by Bernardino Campi, master Renaissance painter, look at me. And in this painting, her face jumps out, not his. you're, you're seeing her pop out. It's right before she's about to go to the court of the most powerful monarch in all of Europe. Um, so I title this painting, Sophonisba Surpasses Her Trainer, because I, I, I think that's the point she's making. I don't find her m- modest in this. But it does show her beautiful psychological portraiture, and she was part of a school in Lombardy. So this is um, Lorenzo Lotto. Here's Giovann Battista Moroni. Portraiture in 16th century Lombardy was a, a specific genre and it was very important to them. And if you 
Many um, European or Italian museums will have an entire room dedicated to 16th century Lombard or Lombard and Venetian portraiture um, solely. So it it was a genre that Sofonisba was a part of. And here is her friar, which I love. Her renown grew beyond local circles and... Eventually, her reputation made its way to Rome, and through correspondence, Michelangelo Buonarroti asked her to draw a um, child crying, and she drew this for Michelangelo. This is in Naples at the Capo di Monte. It is said to influence this one by Caravaggio. And in fact, they're found in inventories together. So Sofonisba's work will be in inventories, collections in in the time, in the 16th century, right next to a, a Michelangelo or a Caravaggio. So she was being collected along with them. So her, her reputation grows. In 1559, there is a, a um, truce between Spain and France. They have been at war for 100 years. There was a decisive battle in 1557 that results in a treaty, and this treaty brings a a wedding between the two countries. Isabel de Valois, daughter of Catherine de' Medici and Henry II, king of France, at 13 to 14 years, is arranged in marriage to Philip II, who is it will be his third marriage, his first marriage. Um, resulted in his first son, Don Carlos. Um, it was Maria of Portugal. His second marriage was in England, Mary Tudor, Bloody Mary. And after she died, uh, Philip II was arranged in marriage to uh, Isabel de Valois. Uh, because of her international background, they had an international court. So Isabel de Valois will have six, eight Spanish ladies-in-waiting, eight Italian ladies-in-waiting, and the 17th person is Sofonisba Anguissola from Little Cremona, Italy, called to be a lady-in-waiting to the new queen of Spain. So Sofonisba goes from small-town girl to being at the most influential court in all of 16th century Europe, more influential than what we see depicted Elizabeth I and Henry VIII. Philip II was the court they were afraid of. And Sofonisba is right there at the seat of power. Before she goes, she will paint this holy family. <clears throat> I love also her her um, originality in this and the expressivism. Giorgio Vasari will go to visit her family home in 1566 after she's already in Spain. And he's so impressed with her work that he writes about her work in Lives of the Artists. Along, he was the first art critic, the first art historian, essentially, in the West. And he wrote about all the Renaissance greats. Well, he uses a word to describe Sofonisba. The word is invenzione or invention. And he uses that word to describe Sofonisba, Anguissola, and Michelangelo Buonarroti. Okay, so... Giorgio Vasari, the most legendary art historian, puts Sofonisba right up next to Michelangelo, as do the art collectors who are showing her works next to his works in their collections. So, um, just to contrast 
here's Sophonisba's Virgin Mary, high forehead, big eyes, hair back in this voluptuous pose to say Michelangelo's Virgin Mary, you know, head down, eyes down, a pieta. Or this one from her region, more colorful, but also head down, more modest. Sophonisba's Mary was a whole different look. So I really wanted to see this painting. I did a big tour of Lombardy when I was getting my master's at San Francisco State. And I went to Bergamo, the Academia Carrara, to see it. And I I had researched the hours and everything, but when I showed up, there was this big sign, Arrivederci Carrara. And it turns out it had just closed two days earlier for a two-year remodel, and I wasn't going to get in. And so I, I'm hitting myself on the forehead, and the, the security guard comes to me, Senor, Senorina, what's the matter? And... Um, I said, I came all the way from San Francisco to see this one painting. I'm so disappointed. The website didn't say it was closed. She asked who the artist was. And I said, Sophonisba Anguissola. The security guard told me she was her favorite artist. She made a call. She had me wait a while. And then they brought the painting down to me. So uh, I can attest that it is a signed and dated painting. So Sophonisba goes to the court of Philip II, and um, while he has a, uh, an official court painter, Alfonso Sanchez Coelho, uh, Sophonisba will paint virtually the entire Habsburg court while she's in the role of lady-in-waiting. This is an example of a painting during that time. The taller, these are the Infantas of Spain, the daughters of Philip II, and Isabel de Valois, the marriage that uh, resulted from that treaty. The taller girl will be, she's Isabella Clara Eugenia. She'll end up the Archduchess of the Spanish Netherlands during its most controversial period and one of the most influential, powerful women in Europe. And the shorter one is Catalina Michela, the younger daughter, who is Lady in Ermine on the book cover. And she'll be the Duchess of Savoy and have a very influential life and 10 children before she dies young in childbirth at around the age of 30. This painting, however, is officially attributed to Coelho, but as with many of these Sophonisba Coelhos, they're not certain, but they do attribute this to Coelho. This is in Windsor at the, in the Queen's Collection, and I had to have many levels of scrutiny to get there. So when Sophonis was first at the court of Philip II, one of the first people she paints is her countryman, Alessandro Farnese, and his mother, the Duchess of Parma, was instrumental in Sophonisba's early days of promoting her legacy. And the Farnese dynasty will be very inter interconnected with Sophonisba's life and her paintings. This is in Dublin, the um, National Museum of Ireland, and it's one of the most beautiful portraits of the Renaissance. The, the cloak itself is just dazzling. So she, she um, one of her first paintings is in Spain is of her countrymen. She could have done that painting when she was in Italy, and she makes it so beautiful. So she's putting her all into that. But she will paint all the important people of the court, including Isabel de Valois. And in this, Sophonisba and Isabel will get to be friends. Sophonisba 
teaches her, tutors her in painting. They spend a lot of time together. That's attested to in the records and the, the letters. Um, but Sophonisma also does her a real solid here because she paints this before an international conference between the Spanish and the French where Isabel is going to represent essentially Spanish Catholic orthodoxy to her mother, Catherine de Medici, who was arguing for religious toleration. She was dealing with the Huguenots and the Catholics in, in France, and, and Catherine de Medici wanted tolerance. Spain wanted orthodoxy, and, and Isabel's mission was to go convince France to be orthodox. So Finispa does her friend a favor by showing her power by literally painting her with the king in the palm of her hand. So Isabel can go to this conference with that authority. And, and you know, so Finispa is using her, her representational thinking to, to, to show this dynamic. So she did what she could. This, uh, 1564, would be about her halfway point at the court of Philip II, and this painting is in Rome. We had the opportunity to see it a couple of years ago. If you can compare, then, how she aged in, you know, not, uh, not too many years, it's almost like looking at a president over two terms, how, how they age. And these are self-portraits by Sophonispa, so it's her, her representation of herself. And she will paint her entire life, and she paints this um, later in life, and uh, as well as painting so many important people and important moments of the era. She is visited twice um, by Anthony Van Dyke, once when she's um, a year before she will be on her deathbed, and he they chat. She discloses to him that her eyesight is failing, but she can still recognize her paintings by the way they smell. And he, he writes it all in his, his um, notebook, which is at the British Museum in London, so anybody can go see this. Um, and he will come back the next year when plague is raging Palermo uh, and paint her on her deathbed. But Anthony Van Dyke was also in Palermo to um, paint the son of Catalina Michaela, the son of the Lady in Ermine, who at that point is appointed to be the um, viceroy of Sicily, the Spanish viceroy of Sicily, and he will die in the plague. She's buried at the Church of San Genovese in Palermo. And I had the opportunity to uh, present at a, a conference on Sophonispa. This is Ferrante Anguissola, the uh, count who takes the, the family title and who has done incredible work to promote her legacy and discover her, um, her family connections. And then at this conference, Maria Kusha presented She's a uh, 16th century expert, expert on Sophonisba, and she has um, made attributions to Sophonisba all across the world. She deceased in 2013, and I'm sad she's not here to defend Sophonisba's reputation now because some of her attributions are in dispute. And 
Maria Kusha had done such profound work on it. I, I wish she could be here to defend Sophonisba now. But what I really wanted to talk about tonight is Sophonisba's renaissance. She, she of her, the 90 years she lived, she painted for possibly 85 or 86 of those. She started very young. And she has possibly hundreds of paintings. And they're attested to in letters and, and um, ambassadors' accounts and poetry. But she was forgotten. And while her contemporaries' names were known and promoted, and while she was in these, these lists and in the letters and in the ambassadors' notes, she was forgotten. When I went to look at her work at the Prado in, 20, in uh, 2008, the pieces were all in storage. And because I had met Maria Kusha, I had an introduction to Letitia Ruiz, who gave me permission to see Sophonisba's paintings in storage. Ten years later, 2019, the Prado is celebrating 200 years, and they have an exhibit of Sophonisba from October through February as a major part of celebration of their 200 years. But maybe also a recognition that only 10 years prior, her work was in storage. So it's a big awakening for, for the whole world. And, um, well, I don't know if this is relevant, but I did see a, a film about the Prado, and I noticed that all the curators were men, except Letitia Ruiz, and she curated the Sophonisba exhibit. Is there a connection? I don't know. Maybe we need more women in, in positions of power. But this is how the Prado celebrates its art. Velázquez is considered the most important Spanish artist, and he gets his due, as they all do. But now Sofonispa is getting her due, and seeing large billboards of Sofonispa's work all over uh, Madrid was so exciting for me. And that's when I fell in love with the um, Colonna portrait and she was everywhere, and it was just lovely to see her and Lavinia getting their recognition. And now, um, as a result of the Prado exhibit, she's getting even more recognition in the popular mind. So we have a New York Times review of the Prado exhibit. Just last week, a Wall Street Journal review of her chess game. So literally, right now, Sophonispa is getting recognition that she hasn't had for 400 years. Here are the crowds coming out to see uh, opening night of her exhibit. Here are the crowds coming to hear Letitia Ruiz speak. Here's somebody who was excited to find my book at the bookstore. <gasps> I, I asked her if she bought it here, and she said no. She actually bought the book in the States and read it on the plane over, so she was surprised to see it there. I had the chance to connect with the Anguissola family, and we all went to the exhibit together. And Ferrante and I were very excited to, to, to be in the presence of 27 Sofonisba paintings all at once. And I couldn't resist taking this photo. I just wish his, his profile were turned the other way because it, it's like um, life imitating art, imitating life. But... To see her paintings up close and be able to spend time with them 
having spent so much time with her life was for me just so thrilling. And the chess game is recognized world around as a masterpiece. And the, the detail that she gives and the story that she embeds in the game are all just profound and provocative. And also just a little slice of life of how girls were educated and, you know, played strategy games and weren't just uh, relinquished to the back rooms doing labor. So this is the portrait of her sister who became a nun. This painting is in Southampton, England. Seeing it um, online for many years, I thought I saw um, acceptance and and a sort of serenity in her sister, and I thought maybe it was appropriate for her to be a nun. But when I saw this painting in person, I got the the op- in, up close. I saw her not really smiling, but more sort of grimacing. I saw more of a frown, more of a resistance. When I saw it in person, I thought she did not want to be a nun. She had trained alongside Sophonisba in art. My feeling is she wanted to stay with her sister painting. But um, in convent life, we know from research, they were very productive. They had their cottage industries. And Sophonisba's sister may have had her own cottage industry as a painter um, in the convent in Mantua where she was sent. Seeing this in person made an impression on me because this this drawing is titled Girl Laughing. And I had seen in it an elitist girl making fun of the maid who's trying so hard to to read and that she was showing class difference. But when I saw it in person, I didn't see ridicule at all. I saw it much more as a supportive smile, and the maid didn't seem to be frowning at all. She had like a little smile, and she had optimism in her eyes and my my whole impression of the drawing was changed by seeing it in person. So if any of you had heard me speak last year, I apologize for what I said, <laughs> calling Sophonisba a mean girl. I, I think she was both with, the, um, with her sister. She was, in a sense, sad that, she, that her sister had to give up the painting she was trained to do. And... In this one, she's encouraging the woman who's learning. So, so Phoenispa was positive toward toward those around her. And I just love, you know, that Leonardo, the psychology of the portraiture. So, um, so Phoenispa will paint most of the Habsburg dynasty um, available when she is at the court of Philip II. And this painting was, it, at the exhibit, it takes up the majority of one wall, and it's beautifully displayed. It's just exquisite. And 10 years ago, I saw it in storage. But this is uh, her painting of Philip II, and it, the, the full um, painting is, he is in prayer, And it was the first time he had been represented in anything other than either a studious or military pose. So, again, she's groundbreaking. But she had insight into his world and why she thought he should be shown in prayer. And that's all in Lady and Ermine. 
I had the opportunity last year to speak at the San Diego Art Museum that has this painting, and it shows, you know, the channels of the Habsburg dynasty. So, and we, you know, we know that the Spanish were, they occupied Latin America. Well, those paintings have made their way filtered up, and one is in San Diego. So I'm, I'm grateful to Michael Brown for inviting me to speak there. But when I saw it, I was so struck of how it looked like a young Philip II. The painting itself, the green one, it, there's an inscription, Filippo II, Filio de Carlo Quinto Imperatore, Philip II, son of the emperor Charles V. That's Philip II, the person Sophonisba painted, or of Sir, whose court she served. But she couldn't have known him as a child. That would have been when before she was born. So one thought is that it's not really Philip II, it's maybe his grandson. Or it could be an, a, another child from somebody at court. But I think, so Venispa uses the invenzione that Giorgio Vasari talks about, uses the representational thinking that she was trained to have, uses all of her education and um, provocative thinking to envision Philip II as a child and present him as she thinks he would have looked. Even the hat is similar. And this shape of hat doesn't appear all over. It is not a frequent style. So this is just a theory, but um, in seeing the painting, the, the grown Philip II in person, I was struck by how much it seemed to be indicate that the green prince... Green is blossoming, naive, new. A green prince is literally a king in the making, a green king. So she's using her representational thinking there. She will paint Catalina Michaela, the lady in ermine, the younger of the two um, infantas, over and over. This painting is um, in Sala 55 of the Prado, I <clears throat> I went into Sala 55 before the exhibit was open and um, saw that it was a Cuello room. That, that's all, all, all the art in there was by Sanchez Cuello or a, another court painter, Pantoja. But one stood out, and it was this one. I was like, oh, because this is Sofonispa. I read the placard. It's attributed to Cuello. In parentheses, sometimes also attributed to Sofonisba and Guisola. Italians attribute this to Sofonisba. The Prado attributes it to Coelho. So it, it is a live debate. So I was wondering, though, Sofonisba, give me a sign. She did not um, sign her court paintings. She signed her early work and her later work, but not her court paintings. But, you know... I saw this S embedded in the skirt, and this would have been when Sophonisba had left the court. She would be 50 years old at this point. She would have been outside of the seat of power, and maybe at 50 she was savvy enough to want to record her legacy in a painting that she couldn't sign. After I saw that S, I went through the Prado, and I looked at every single court portrait, every single one, to see if that was just a convention for showing folds in a skirt. And nobody else does that. No, 
Kawayo and Pantoa or El Greco or any of the other court painters, none of them embed an S, and it is strikingly similar to the S of her signature. And given that she signed a painting upside down when she wanted to um, evoke Leonardo, maybe she's using her invenzione, Giorgio Vasari's word, to embed herself. As she said with a Dominican astronomer, I am here. And now she's saying with Catalina Michaela, I am here. So this painting was... 1585, and that is the year Catalina leaves Spain, and she will arrive in Italy to be the Duchess of Savoy. She then will be the Lady in Ermine at a later date. You are listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Learn about our travel programs to exciting domestic and international destinations. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live for any of our 500 programs each year. You can find us online at commonwealthclub.org. Now back to our program. I spent much of last year talking about how similar Sophonisba's work is to Lady and Ermine, because technically last year Lady and Ermine was attributed to El Greco. And I looked at many paintings, the large eyes, the soft face. I, I couldn't imagine that it was actually El Greco over Sophonisba, and nor there, I would say the Italians all agree. And the, there's a catalog, Sofonispa and Canguisola e le sue sorelle. It was first published in 1585 and then in, uh, fift, sorry, 1985. And then in 1992, um, attributing it, this painting to Sofonispa. But the gallery in Glasgow had continued to attribute it to El Greco until the day of the opening of the Sofonispa exhibit. And on October 22nd, the newspapers in Madrid came out with the headline, Ne del Greco, Ne di Sofonispa, Ma de Cuello. <laughs> and so after decades of it being incorrectly attributed to El Greco, it's now being attributed to Cuello. So there's a Cuello uh, on the this side and the so compared to the Sophonisba. I find Kawayo's eyes to be much squintier, but what they're analyzing are brush brush strokes, and I can I'm cannot speak to brush strokes. However, I could say this they copied each other's styles all the time. So even if it were technically Kawayo's brush stroke, Sophonisba could have been copying his style proving that she could do his style because they did copy each other's work. But if Kaweo did this, he would have done it in 1585. That was the last time he saw Catalina Michaela, and at that point she was 18 years old. So Finispa was very close to um, Catalina Michaela, so Finispa living in Geneva 
and Catalina and Michaela living in Turin. So Venispa had every logistical, timing, geographical opportunity to paint this, while Coelho was um, two land voyages and a sea voyage away, unless he painted this when she was 18. But I, I don't see an 18-year-old there. Sophonisba took the 15th century ideas with perspective and representational thinking and the, the psychology, and she pulls Leonardo out of the 15th century. She's sm- smack dab in the middle of the 16th century with all sorts of genres, from miniaturism, mannerism, portraiture, grand scale, thematic scale, and then perpetuates this Lombard style into the 17th century, and the legacy is taken up with Peter Paul Rubens and Anthony Van Dyke. So you can really say that her 90-year life stretches over two centuries. So the exhibit, really seeing her work in person, matters, um, and her work is spread throughout the world. Chess game officially resides in Poland, so it was nice to have the opportunity to see that. Um, But we do have a piece in San Diego, and she has work in Baltimore, in uh, Milwaukee, in uh, Florida, all throughout Europe. So there are many opportunities to see her work. And um, I wanted to write a book that covered her full life, starting from her, her years of training as a child ending all the way through her deathbed to get the full picture of of the work she did and her full legacy. So I hope you will um, enjoy reading her story. Great. So who would like to ask the first question? Well, first of all, I would just like to say thank you for writing such a beautiful book. I couldn't put it down. It was a Page Turner from the beginning. In fact, I'm going to start reading it again after listening to you tonight. I have so much more to learn and to see. It was just spectacular. And my question is, if it is a movie, and I'm hoping it is because I can't wait, who would you want to play her part? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. What a fun question. Um, I have sort of a list, but... Okay. Scarlett Johansson, Kate Winslet, or Rachel Weiss. <laughs> I, I have a question. How, how many of you live your lives wondering who's going to play your role? <laughs> okay, next question. Thank you for a marvelous talk. You're a great historian. I'd like to know what was the latest price for one of her paintings at auction. <laughs> so I actually don't know. Um, I, I know her portrait of Philip II was auctioned by Sotheby's. I don't know what it went for, um, but it's now privately owned, and so I would just like the owner who bought it to please lend it to a, a museum so we can all see it. In fact, I'd call out to all the owners private owners of paintings, please lend them to museums, especially that Dominican astronomer. We need to see that and have it in the public. So I don't know. Um, 
there, I heard about 10 years ago, there was a portrait of hers being sold for 80,000 euros. But that was 10 years ago when her portraits were still in storage. So what would they go for now? I don't know. What was the genesis of this project? How did you make this connection with this artist? I was looking for a woman in history who was underappreciated to bring out her story. Uh, and so Phineas's story was just so fantastic that she, she pulled me in. But it was a project. I, I retired from my career as a lawyer and soon needed a new life. So I went back to school. I got a master's in history. Um, my original training was at UC Berkeley, humanities, and I filled that out with a master's in history at San Francisco State, and my, my thesis was on Sophonisba. But I just wanted to find a fascinating woman. And it turns out there are so many fascinating women, I had a hard time choosing, but her story really jumped out. I was going to say, trying to find an underappreciated, fascinating woman in history is <laughs> like in the millions, you know. Great presentation. Really appreciate it. Were the other women you were speaking of, the ones on the marquee in uh, Madrid, did they know each other? Did they, did they hang out or did they correspond? Or? Ah, Lavinia Fontana was a generation after Sofonispa and she was inspired by Sofonispa. Artemisia Gentileschi was also a generation after Sofonispa, inspired by Sofonispa. I don't know if Lavinia and Artemisia knew each other. Uh, I think Lavinia's from Bologna and Artemisia's from Rome, but they may have known each other's work. They may have traveled, but I don't know. Well, we haven't had Lavinia here yet, but we have had Artemisia. Uh, we had a lecture about her a couple of years ago. Well, Artemisia is more well-known yeah. uh, because, in part, there were novels about her 20 years ago. So now we're starting to have novels about Sophonisba, and so we can know Sophonisba. But I still think she needs to be on the big screen. <laughs> she is so visual. And, well, I have written the script. So um, I've cast the location... And I just need a producer. Hi, Donna. Thank you. Um, do you is is there a difference uh, between her uh, painting style from her younger ages and as she got older? And and what 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 are the major differences? That you've well, when she was young, she really just did the portraiture, looking at you know the psychology of the face and with with some like the ambiance of the person and how they were dressed and the background and things and she signed that work at court it was much more formal she had to focus not so much on the face but to show the 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 grandness of the the person through their dress and she couldn't sign those so so that was different and then um what we know about her court work is mostly portraiture but during all phases of her life, she did also miniatures, she did themat thematic work, she did religious work. So um, I think she probably had less room to be creative when she was at court because she had to do the more formal portraiture style because the other types of genres you see more before and after court. So she did live to be 90, around 90 years old, and she was at court um, about 12, 13 years 
So she had a lot of time outside of that painting and was probably more experimental then. Um, in her later part of her life, she was living in Sicily. She paints a thematic scene which is largely like the local genre in, in Sicily. It's a Madonna delle Tria. Um, it's a, it, there's a lot of um, theme in the painting. When that was first discovered, the Academy um, refused to believe it was a Sofonisba. It was discovered by my friend Alfio Nicotra from Paterno, Sicily, where she lived back in, in the 16th century. Um, and uh, the attribution was rejected until years later he found the document, an atto di donazione, that's where Sofonisba gave the painting to the this particular church. So, um, you know, the acad- academics were proven wrong by the history. Uh, so, Donna, thank you again for the presentation. Uh, hi. <laughs> Could you speak to the aha moment where you knew that hers was the story you wanted to tell? Um, mm, well... I don't know that there was one. Um, I mean, I fell in love with her various times, but um, in fact, it was probably something very unsexy that I had a class that had to be on the 16th century. I needed a 16th century woman or, you know, it just came out of my graduate school. And I don't think I had that moment. (laughs) Well, I I wanted to make one thing clear clear because uh, I didn't want you to have come here under false pretenses. You, you've asked for all the movie producers in the audience you know, to make a movie, and you also asked for all the art owners that own Sofonisba's to bring them out to the public. I, we did not really have that many people promise to, that our movie producers are art owners. Anybody in the audience a movie producer or an art owner? Okay, good. All right, there's time for one more question. I just want to ask, the, um, your, your process uh, to, to decide to write this as a novel as opposed to a history, why the choice between a novel versus a history? So Phineas' story is actually very well known by academics and art historians. Um, she only fairly recently started making it into um, art histories, the, the, the books, but she has been known. I wanted her story to her story to be known in the popular imagination, and that really requires fiction to get it out there. Um, and that's why, like, the, the book advances it, but a movie would advance it more. <laughs> she has a publisher, but not a movie producer. <laughs> okay, that was a great, great last question, and thank you all very much for coming. So ends another event at the Commonwealth Club in its 117th year of enlightened discussion.